should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. The show has started, but uh, I'm not ready, apparently. <laughs> I got caught up in some chords or or, uh, or whatever. My mind's just not there. But how many of us are there? How many of us are paying attention? I think a lot of us are, and I thank you for that. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. The show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Okay, it's Thursday, and uh, it's close to the last day of March, um, but, you know, it, that doesn't mean that uh, April 1st brings anything. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's March 30th. And already there's just a lot of buzz, there's a lot of talk about how this administration is affecting the LGBTQ community. And not just the administration, but things that are happening state by state. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And I'm sure most of you who are tuning in and who uh, are part of the LGBTQ community know that I'm talking about HB2. Well, I couldn't think of anybody more perfect than our guest today who will walk us through some of those rumors out there, whether they're rumors or not, as far as the, uh, the, the president and his administration and any decisions that he's made affecting our community, as well as what are some updates to HB2, that very hateful anti-LGBTQ, anti-transgender bill out of North Carolina. So let's welcome my good friend, let me potter up really quick, Don Ennis, who's an award-winning journalist and also uh, contributes to some nationwide, I should say global, major global LGBTQ publications like LGBTQ Nation and The Advocate. Don, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey there. I, I wonder if how many people are trying to imagine you potting up something. <laughs> my pots are all in the dishwasher i have to get them out <laughs> oh, that's the uh uh yes thank you for reminding me i'm uh, uh sharing with the those who have theater of the mind i'm literally just making sure that you can hear don <laughs> i'm very glad to be potted up thank you and glad to be part of your uh, your show again um big fan and second uh, time guest and long time listener oh thank you don <laughs> Uh, well, likewise, we share, uh, you know, just uh, that, that that's what we that's I'm so glad that we have each other during this very scary time. And right before I got you on the air, it was just like, how am I supposed to climb out of, you know, all this stuff, this crap that just feels like we're just going down. We're all going down in flames. But um, it's good to have each other to lift each other up and know that, you know, we're all in this together. So let's start with a few things people started sharing right away. 
um, some articles that said that the president had signed an executive uh, order rescinding federal protections of LGBTQ employees. Is that fact? Um, it's a new executive order that eliminates or replaces an existing um, executive order that uh, now does not exist anymore. It was it was President Obama who was um, trying to get employers that uh, deal with federal uh, people, in other words, federal contractors. They were required to show uh, through their records that they had not discriminated against anyone. It seemed like a very logical kind of thing. But the Trump administration has now basically signaled by erasing that with a new executive order that companies can do whatever they want. They don't have to obey that law. They can discriminate if they want to. It's not going to be something the Trump administration is going to look at. Now, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, um, and some people thought it was rumor, uh, but there, there was an actual move by the president affecting the LGBTQ community. But, but we hadn't heard from, you know, an organization like HRC or something to, to comment on that decision. Why do you think that is? I'm not really sure. It did happen sort of under the cover of all of the healthcare miasma, and it's amazing to me. Uh, even Rolling Stone today, uh, a very mainstream media publication, talked about how as the smoke of uh, uh, healthcare went down in flames, as people were looking through the smoke, these uh, actions by the Trump administration, this one and a census uh, decision, both of impacting our LGBTQ community, and I love the fact that you added LMNOP, by the way. Um, that That is something that is not um, being reported by the mainstream media, with exceptions uh, like I just mentioned. Um, I, I don't think anyone understands that this was not the executive order that supposedly the president allowed to stand a few weeks ago when he first uh, got in. This is a different executive order uh, called the Fair pay and safe workplaces order. It was basically designed to protect whistleblowers and to make sure that people didn't get blacklisted and to make sure that when the government does work with outside companies, that the companies are upstanding. And the Trump administration is basically saying, oh, forget that. We don't need that. We can basically just go on the buddy system or the honor system and say, you're going to, um, you're going to do right by people, right? Okay, good. You're fine. So let's face it. There is no honor system, not in America. And what this administration is doing is allowing discrimination. Where is HRC on this? I think that, like everyone else, they're not paying attention. The land's illegal um, with how I found out about this um, order. Um, and it's something that I think we have to all uh, get on board with. Make sure your Twitter follows are of these orgs like Land Illegal and HRC and the task force. And that's how we're going to find out about these moves that are being um, like hit upon us in such a flurry fashion that we, we aren't even paying attention sometimes. It's uh, that old joke about, oh, look, something shiny, and then we're you know not paying attention to what's really happening. Thank you so much for that, Don. I, I don't want to. Uh, you mentioned something that was very, very important, and one of the. Dis- I mean, you talked about the census and how the census literally. Um, had proposed to include sexual orientation and gender identity in the 2020 census, but it has been removed or taken away. And I want to stick on that a little bit and discuss why this is so important and it will have a 
very, very negative and hurtful impact on the LGBTQ community, not to mention the fact that we've just, like you said, been completely erased. But, you know, why does the census collect these types of data and what do they do with it? And, you know, because in my opinion, if we're invisible, we're not there, and they use the census for data collection for things like resources such as access to housing or, you know, access to, to resources um, we're not at we're not at the table. We're not even you know acknowledged as people. Don, you there? Sorry, sorry, I had my phone on mute so I wouldn't be making noise while you were um, <laughs> while you were talking. I was I was potting down my pot. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, talk. No, no, the census the census is essential to our country. This is not. Uh, busy buddies and nosy people going around and asking how many people you have in your house and how many people you have in your house. This is about how many Americans are living in America. What kind of Americans are we? Where are we from? What is our um, life like? And I want to use the word lifestyle. I hate that. But the information that is collected, that is used every 10 years to determine our representation, how our government um, operates in terms of how many seats we have in our representative government. And it also is used to determine how the government should um, treat uh, certain populations. I mean, the fact that they're not asking questions about um, same-sex couples, about um, queer couples, about bisexuals, about transgender people, means that the government won't have any more clue than they do now in terms of what our lives are like. And if you think that the government knows too much, I'm sorry. It's that that they know too much about us um, through, like, the spying of your Samsung microwave or TV. It's Mm -hmm. that we want them to know about us so that we can have a voice. It's just about having a voice. Right, right. And and then, like I mentioned, I mean, I can't stress enough, I I think— for a lot of Americans, um, it's so easy to just think about, you know, these these things and how it impacts your own community. Um, but some of the things that would be, I, I think, restricted or, or limited or taken away from the LGBTQ community are the same as any other community that gets erased by the census. And we're talking about things like, um, like I said, housing or access to resources like government funding, uh, you know, if you need assistance or like, you know, things like that. Not that this current administration gives a crap about, uh, you know, social services, but those are exactly the same things that I'm talking about. And, and, and people have this misperception that LGBTQI people don't need those things that for some reason, you know, because uh, gay men don't have kids or those types of stereotypes that they don't, uh, they have all this discretionary funds and they don't necessarily need things like government assistance and, so I, I just want to stress the importance of, you know, it's like Harvey Milk. There was once upon a time in our history in which Harvey Milk said it's really important for us to come out. And he encouraged people to come out and be out, be courageous and be vigilant. And we did. And we did. And now in 2017, now that we are out, we are we're being erased. It's not even like we're being kindly asked to go back in the closet. We're just they're just axing us as if we, you know, don't matter. And this is the result of um, a step forward. Um, it's often been said, one step forward, two steps back. We won marriage equality. And I say we, even though I'm straight, 
um, because we in the transgender community supported our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters in their efforts to get equal and hope of that we will also uh, get their help in trying to get our equal rights. So we made an accomplishment. We made a difference. We made a dent. But now we're paying for it. And largely it's my community, the transgender community, that is being punished because there are people out there who have this unalienable like, right to hate people who seem to think that you know we're the devil and that we need to um, be stopped. I listened to the debate in North Carolina today, and it's just disgusting to me that there are people on this planet, in our country, in a state not too far from me, who think that I'm evil or that I'm a pervert, mm. that you want to use the bathroom that matches mm. the gender mm-hmm. that I identify with. So what I'm trying to say is that we need to understand that uh, Benjamin Franklin was right. We must all hang together or we shall all hang separately. This is a life or death issue for my community. This is an issue that every LGBTQ LMNOP person has got to get behind in terms of even if we're not in the same boat of identity or orientation, we are all marginalized and we are up against the wall here. And um, it may not seem to you or to someone else that their um, rights are going to be infringed upon because a sense of the taker doesn't take a question. But think about how the world has changed since June 26, 2015. The world has changed. Right. And, and a census should change with it, and our government should change with it. And instead, we're back in um, Ozzy and Harriet in 1950s where – Oh, everything's going to be just fine. Don't worry about that. And pat me on the head. Right, right. Don, and now to, to kind of also tie that into the the second order decision that you had talked about, which affects mm-hmm. federal contractors and this whole thing about federal contractors. I, I can understand that, you know, for us uh, normal people or, or <laughs> everyday people uh, who, who aren't reading up on this stuff, you know, we, we might not understand, like, what, is, what exactly does that mean? Like, who are federal contractors or how do, uh, you know, this, this executive order that the president has decided to uh, rescind or take away as, as it was introduced okay, by President sure. Obama? It's easy. I mean, think about it for a second. All right. So, not everybody is lucky enough to have a full-time job with a boss at an office, and you work every day, you get benefits, you get paychecks, you get a little ID card. A lot of people go from place to place, and they often work for a company that is hired by the um, government to uh, work. So you might have a job for like six months or three weeks or eight years, but it may be only through another company that does business with the government. So NASA does this. Um, the General Accounting Office does this. Several agencies do this. And their main purpose is, instead of having all these people work for the government, the government makes a contract with an outside company and says, okay, you'll do the work for us and we'll pay your company. Your company will pay those people. So if Company X only hires white guys who are Mormons and the executive order says that you have to be uh, diverse and you have to be uh, supportive of LGBTQ and women and minorities, that will make the company X either change its policies or not get the job. If, however, the Trump administration takes away that 
uh, executive order and put the new executive order saying in, we don't need to have any kind of oversight on this stuff. The company X can hire whoever they want, fire whoever they want, and the government has no say. So say the people are working for NASA and they're going to build the next rocket to Mars. Well, if company X is hired by NASA and they only use white Mormon guys to build the next rocket to, to Mars, I have a feeling they're not going to take into account that women are going to be on that rocket, and they're not going to take into account that um, there are special needs people and there are people who have different bodies other than white Mormon men. So that's my point, is that this federal executive order by President Trump allows any company to basically turn a blind eye towards fairness. Mm. And this is what the administration is doing is they are erasing LGBT people by not allowing for institutions that exist, for documents that exist that allow for oversight. So some will say it's, oh, this is better because it's streamlined. We don't have to worry about this. The companies will take care of it themselves. Well, if you work for a company, can I ask you a question? Are you always sure they're doing everything in your best interest or is it in the company's best interest? Right. I, you know, I think diversity is an inclusion, even more importantly. It is in every company's best interest. Unfortunately, I'm not in the, minor, I'm in the minority of thinking that. Don, thank you for, for walking us through that. I'm going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to touch on HB2, and then, you know, we kind of explain this whole, um, how this affects, you know, companies and such. And, and But at the same time, there's something interesting happening as far as, like, companies who are speaking out or understanding at least the fundamental basics of discrimination and how that could, uh, from a financial point of view or an economic impact, be detrimental to their bottom line. So I want to I hear your thoughts on that. Will you stay with us? I am all potted up and ready. <laughs> I'm going to pop myself down now. We're going to we're going to break, but when we come back, we'll continue with Don Ennis, my good friend, who's an award-winning journalist, and uh, we're talking all things LGBTQ and uh, I guess the president or <sighs> can't even say it. Anyway, come back. Forty-five. <laughs> Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From 
health care reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday, March 30th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, still fighting a cold or, and or what I call the um, crap. The country's going down in flames. Flu virus or something like that. I was just since November. I've just been sick. Like, that's just what it is. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and on the phone with us is Don Ennis, and uh, we're talking all things LGBTQ and, and some of the decisions that the president has made and how that has impacted or affected our daily lives, but also from, you know, legislation point of view, also, you know, states. And uh, I want to turn our attention to North Carolina and HB2. HB2 is a very discriminating bill that had been passed. Um, in North Car Carolina, limiting even uh, local ordinances from enacting their own anti-discrimination bills. That's why it's so uh, it's so ugly. It's so harmful. It's so so horrible. I mean, even former Governor Pat McCrory, who was you know who passed or or signed it into law, uh, he's crying because he can't find a job. But it's also been reported that this bill has cost North Carolina up to uh, $350 billion worth of business. It's got to be, you know, something that's, that, that the current governor um, has to be thinking about as well as other legislators and the, and the whole state of North Carolina. But something interesting has happened today in which they're trying to, quote, unquote, repeal HB2. But let's, let's uh, find out what Don thinks of this whole thing. Don, what is going on with HB2? Right now, there is a new bill on the governor of North Carolina's desk. He is Roy Cooper. He's a Democrat. He was elected largely on a campaign to repeal HB2. He was finally making good on this uh, promise that he would overturn HB2. And last night, Republicans who have been tangling with uh, Cooper for the last few months, even before he was sworn in, they have been trying to find a way to preserve what they like about HB2, the discriminatory part, and find a new way forward. And last night they announced a compromise. But this so-called compromise, um, as I wrote in my uh, article at LGBTQ Nation, the only thing you need to know about it is, is that Pat McCrory thinks it's a good idea. And if he thinks it's a good idea, then it's shit. Okay? That's the bottom line. <laughs> um, it was. It, it, it was. I apologize for speaking so bluntly, but that's really it. Um, it was presented today. It was rushed through, just like original HB two in March of two thousand sixteen was rushed through in the middle of the night. This time it was rushed through in the broad day of uh, the broad light of day, and there was a hearing in which uh, many um, eloquent members of the North uh, Carolina legislature spoke against this bill. There were even people who supported HB2 who hate this bill, who don't like it because it isn't everything they want. 
some people say a compromise where everyone is unhappy is the best compromise, but every LGBT advocacy organization and almost all of the allied companies that stood with us when HB2 was passed, all of them have begged the governor, please don't sign this. However, he's expected to sign it. Um, right now, it, it passed both the House and the Senate. Um, let me tell you a little bit about it. The biggest difference is that um, in this new HB 142, only the state legislature would be able to pass any legislation related to the use of multiple occupancy bathrooms. In other words, public bathrooms where lots of stalls or lots of urinals. No city or public school would be able to assure a trans person they can use facilities that actually match their gender identity. How is that an improvement? Right. Municipalities would also still be banned from passing any LGBTQ non-discrimination protections until 2020. So the two major reasons that we wanted HB2 repealed, we wanted cities to be able to enact their own anti-discrimination policies, which Charlotte did and caused HB2 to be uh, passed, and we wanted trans people to be able to use whatever bathrooms they identify with. A lot of the proponents are saying that trans people will be able to use the bathrooms they identify with, but I don't see how that's possible if the law basically says that they can't be promised. It seems like it's a very willy-nilly kind of law. And why is this happening today? Well, it's a very, very simple answer. It's money. Mm. Money is behind this because the people who run the National Collegiate Conference of Athletics, NCAA, the, 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 the NCAA, the college basketball tournament people, all right, those folks said, you better get your crap together by today or we're going to decide the tournaments for the next five years and not going to give any to North Carolina. That's a lot of money. So they're pushing for this to be signed today so the NCAA is happy and they can get their tournaments back to North Carolina because, after all, let's face it, college basketball, college hoops, is bigger than religion in North Carolina. Right, right. Last night we, we listened to Rick Waltz, who's the president and CEO of the Golden State Warriors, um, in a discussion that we had on religious freedom bills. And, I mean, he, he spoke specifically about the NBA um, and the All-Stars game pulling out of Charlotte. And, and you know that how— big he, too. Yeah, that was big, too. That was big, but he said the NCAA is much bigger. And so you're right. It's bigger than religion. Speaking of religion, you know, what's interesting is that when we were fighting a lot of anti-LGBTQ bills, say even like, I don't know, three, four, five years ago— it was a it was a lot about this uh, the the conservative group or the right wingers using religion like actually using biblical verses and things like that to attack our community, and I'm hearing less of it, and it, it, it it's 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 an interesting shift. Like I'm not really sure if they caught on that the whole religious freedom argument, um, you know, doesn't necessarily work because now even companies, you know, boycott and discuss it in this, you know, discriminatory way. What do you think is the strategy? Because it seems to be working for them. Or are they just doing stuff to blow up stuff and and hoping that we're not paying attention? I think in um, beautiful San Francisco and in lovely uh, New England, we are blessed in that religion generally does not interfere with our uh, daily lives. We don't have to worry about people standing on corners or in front of bathrooms uh, yelling at us. However, I was just in Florida, and throughout other parts of our beautiful country, there are people who will come up to you and yell in your face 
that you are the devil. I was at a journalism conference at a major hotel in central Florida, and simultaneously at that conference was a, uh, a meeting of uh, religious leaders. And they didn't like our all-gender bathroom, and they confronted someone for being transgender inside a ladies' room. This mm. happens. It still happens. And even though you may not be seeing it, in Texas, where they are trying their own HB2, they're not even going the route that North Carolina did, which was to say, well, this law might allow predators who pretend to be transgender to get into the bathroom. In North Carolina, that was the best you could possibly ask for. In Texas, they're saying that transgender people are the perverts, are the predators, mm -hmm. and they are trying to make that link between religion and uh, identity. And it goes also back to gays and lesbians being seen as the devil because of how they practiced what it was the old um, biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So believe me, this is not overcome. It may be minimized. Mm -hmm. I think more and more, would you call them average Americans, normal Americans? <laughs> most, the majority of our country is with us. Yes. But that does not mean that the bigots are gone. And if anything, what I think our our gains do is that they enrage and ennoble and, and empower our haters so that they will do terrible, terrible things like Pulse, like the man who's being held in California for bringing explosives to um, the West Hollywood Pride on the same night as Pulse. So there are still wackos out there, and we, not, we need not and must not let down our guard. Thank you, Don. And speaking of not letting down our guard, I know that a lot of um, LGBTQ leaders, you know, and, and just the community in general, I mean, there are so many different grassroots organizers now who are calling for people to be active and to participate, to resist, to resist, to resist. I mean, you know, for the LGBTQ community, especially the most marginalized of us, the most oppressed, and those who are just adversely affected, such as transgender women, transgender women of color, who are, uh, it seems like, daily being um, subject to violence, like really horrible violence, uh, you know, which has become an epidemic in terms of the loss of lives in the community. So what does it actually mean you know, if, if just all we're saying is to resist. Like, so for someone like you, you're continuing to do what you do best with a focus on telling the truth and sharing these stories, which is so great because we need it. But for us daily people, <laughs> well, <laughs> our everyday I'm, people. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, what, is, what, is, exactly what, what does that yeah. mean? What should we be doing? Because I don't think that we have time to 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 just resist in our mind, whatever that means? Well, I think most of us, and I'm going to speak for most of us and say, we sit and either we turn off the TV or when we watch it, we get mad. Or we hear it on the radio or we hear our, or watch or see on Facebook or social media some of our friends or relatives spout off on things that we just go, what the fuck crazy? And we don't know what to do with that energy of, well, what can we do? So this is why, um, after 30 years of being a journalist, I decided I would do something I've never done before. I stepped out in front of the camera. I have my own show. It's on YouTube. It's called Rise Up with Dawn Ennis. And without making this into a plug, I'm trying to explain that what I decided to do was use my talents and skills to showcase groups and ways of getting involved. 
I've talked to the League of Women Voters. I've talked to the ACLU, and as our next episode on April 7th, I've got other organizations here in my hometown and across the country who want to show us the way to get involved. And the way to get involved is to show up at a meeting, to go to someone's house, to possibly go door to door and knock. It's something you think you can do. But there are ways to fill that need we all have to make a difference. And sitting at home and yelling at the TV or feeling that our social media is something we should just block off every negative voice, that's not the solution. The solution is to get involved and to find ways of rising up, resisting if you wish. And even if for the people, you know, even for the Trump supporters who aren't happy with the way the president is running things, there are ways for those folks to get involved too. I want everybody to understand that that's how democracy works. It only works if you get involved. You know that 49% of the people in America voted in the last election? So more than half didn't. Right. So that's why we're in this tricked up mess. So what I am hoping that is in my my small voice, well, (laughs) small, (laughs) with my my very loud voice, I'm hoping that I can make a small difference in people's um, inactivity and change it around and motivate people to rise up. And that's the whole reason I decided to do this show. I, I don't think I would choose to watch me on TV, but... Somebody's got to do it, and I decided it has to be me this time. So um, that's why I'm doing my show, and that's the whole purpose of um, uh, my private life outside of raising three kids alone and trying to make ends meet working for six different publications. <laughs> well, you're my hero, and I'm so thankful that you make it work. But just really quick, let everyone know you know, how they can get in touch with you or tune in to your show. You mentioned your show, but, but let us know, you know how. How can we tune in? Well, if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to tell you this. Um, I started a blog seven years ago, eight years ago, called lifeafterdawn.com, and it's spelled just like the words, Life After Dawn, and I post links there. Um, I'm also on Facebook with this uh, show page called Rise Up With Dawn. So that's where you'll find out more information. Um, I use Life After Dawn pretty much extensively, like on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook, so you can find me that way. But also you can find me in Michelle meow's friend list which is the most important place for me oh you are so sweet i hope one day you know we'll get to sit down and hang out and uh, i could tell we we would just you know i bet we have the same um the same taste in like movies and books yeah, and all that I stuff be a guest on my show. yeah i'll be a guest <laughs> on your show don thank you so much for joining me here today and for giving us the info that we need and uh you know yes let's resist with don make sure you tune in become a friend follow don I'm sure of it that Don will be back on the show sometime soon. Thank you, Michelle. Don't go away. When we come back, the show continues, so stick around. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do. 
especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday, March 30th. I can't believe that it is already uh, a day before the last day of March. I didn't even think I would make it to my 35th birthday, which happened mid-March. I feel like so much has happened since January 17th. Um, I can't believe that this president, as ineffective as he is, because there's not much progress that he has made for the country, um, he has been effective as in getting under our skin or effective as in, in my opinion, really, really doing some incredible harm to all of our communities. I mean, who goes after Mother Nature? Donald Trump does, or 45, as as Don said. Um, but this show, you know, isn't always going to focus on Donald Trump. It's just so hard to not talk about the, uh, the impact that he's had on all of our communities negatively. Uh, I was able to join a wonderful talk last night with the Commonwealth Club, which, by the way, you should definitely check out some of their programs. They have great talks with various different people. Sometimes it, it doesn't apply to the progressive community uh, because they're a neutral space. But sometimes it's really, really, really uh, fascinating. Last night was a talk with Rick Welts, who was the CEO, or I'm sorry, he is the CEO. Uh, No, I got that wrong again. (laughs) Titles, titles. He's the president and COO of the Golden State Warriors, and he also is an out gay uh, executive for the NBA. And he was looked to in terms of, you know, an opinion by the NBA and by NBA owners when HB2 was passed. And he talked about, you know, he stood up in front of NBA owners and discussed why HB2 was discriminatory, and he got his first hug by Michael Jordan. I really, really commend and honor, you know, people like Rick Welts, although many of us can scream and shout like a lot of the out gay, rich executives can be doing so much more but I can only imagine, you know, when you're the only gay person in the room and you've got to use your, your, yourself, your, your, your entire identity, your being to talk about um, something that is, it pertains to your business. I mean, I really think people like Rick Welts are revolutionizing the way that we talk about sexual orientation and gender identity in a space such as the NBA, multi-billion dollar company in which Many people think that it should be neutral, that there are no politics in it. But Rick talked about, you know, the importance of being able to identify and talk about these things that, uh, you know, the athletes are intelligent men themselves who will be able to articulate and discuss with you their thoughts on things like gun control or a story of, you know, a father who had lost 
um, you know, his his kid at war um, who want to talk about some of these policies that impact their lives. And so when you think about that and how many people will be able to listen or or because a lot of these guys have influence, I really do think people like Rick Welts uh, should be awarded and honored and thanked because without people like them, we couldn't do things like, you know, have a negative impact on a state like North Carolina for passing very discriminatory bills. And that's the strategy that we've taken. And I think we have to continue doing that. So we can't just ignore some of these great big voices that we have in our communities. I want to take the uh, opportunity for the last half of the hour to play interviews that I've done for the television show that I may not have aired here on the radio show for our Progressive Voices uh, community. And um, I I think it's a good uh, direction to go by playing an interview I did with former uh, State Senator Mark Leno, who's an out gay senator here in California. He's been, um, I shouldn't say replaced, but succeeded by an out, another out gay uh, politician that is now State Senator Scott Weiner. But, you know, Mark, we, we did an exit interview, and I just think some of the things he talked about was uh, incredibly insightful. So I'm going to just play that entire show. I did do some quotes in the beginning that may not make any sense now, but, you know, it's it was just part of the show. You can catch all of my episodes and everything that I do television, radio-wise, by heading to michellemeow.com. We're here Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, here on the Progressive Voices Network. And for those who are in the San Francisco Bay Area, I air my television show on the local channel, Coffee TV, every Sunday night at 9.30. But again, like I said, you can catch everything at michellemeow.com. Fridays, we air uh, week to week the political roundtable talk with John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, which, like I said, is fascinating conversations about politics. And then Sunday, we air... Uh, B.B. Sweetbriar's uh, It's Everything with B.B. Sweetbriar, which is very, uh, I shouldn't say political, but culturally driven, and it includes pop and art and nightlife. Um, It's just great. So uh, thank you so much for supporting the program. Enjoy this interview that I did for the television show. We'll see you tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. It's the Michelle Miao Show, your A to Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Here's Michelle Miao. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Tonight, our two guests are two influential political voices from the LGBTQ community. Senator Mark Leno, who's terming out this year, will join us for an exit interview. And also former assembly member Tom Amiano will be with us to talk about his new comedic show as well as his thoughts on the local election. Say in an ad she also produced with HRC for support Clinton. We have to continue Trump. Those are all the quotes we have for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't go away when we come back from the break, our special exit interview with Senator Mark Leno. Welcome back. Thanks again for joining me here tonight for the Michelle Miao Show. I am excited and I'm thrilled that our next guest is State Senator Mark Leno, who's here to do his exit interview. I'm so, so thankful that he's agreed to do it. So let's get to the interview. There's so many of us in the LGBTQ community who will absolutely miss you as you term out and uh, you have just been so incredible 
in this role and, and, and all the work that you have done. In fact, I have three pages worth of notes here of all the work, the accomplishments that you have done. Um, let's start with the most recent and then we'll work our way back. Sure. But even in the month of September, the governor has signed over, I think, eight bills of yours that you have written. Let's talk about some of those. Well, we even had a couple of signatures earlier in the year when the governor signed our bill that will raise California's minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2021. And the whole concept behind that was that it shouldn't be legal to pay a sub-poverty wage in California so that if you're employed 40 hours a week, you're not living in poverty. We have some of the highest poverty rates in the country here in California, and well over a million of those folks are working full time. Mm -hmm. And that's just wrong. So there's, we all talk a good game about respecting work, but if we're not rewarding work, where's the respect? That is so incredible. I know that many Californians were extremely excited about the uh, minimum wage increase, which isn't just a California you know, discussion. That's, right. a, that's a countrywide discussion. And we're hearing a lot of people concerned about income inequality, especially with this election. Um, President Obama has defined income inequality as the defining issue of our era, and I would agree with him completely. Absolutely. So speaking of that, income inequality or, and or fighting for the middle class, the low-income families, I mean, that has been inclusive of the LGBTQ community. And so as you term out, what are some things that you hope uh, your successor will continue to do? Do you hope that income inequality or addressing low-income uh, families, middle-class workers, uh, that those types of, um, that type of work will continue? Yes, and I'll get to some specifics in a minute, but I just want to point out, at least the way I see the legislative work that I've been doing these past 14 years in Sacramento and four years before that on the County Board of Supervisors, all these dots connect. So if we're talking about income inequality, that's certainly going to impact access to housing, mm -hmm. and that impacts access to quality health care, and that relates to education, because if you're not feeling well or you're in pain or you're sick, you're gonna miss school, and if you miss school, you're more likely to drop out and not get a high school diploma, and without a high school diploma, a child has a seven times greater likelihood of finding his or her way into our criminal justice system. So now we're talking about safer communities. All these dots connect, and so I've been working on many of them simultaneously, and they do all overlap. So for example, housing. Uh, we have a housing crisis here in San Francisco. We have a housing crisis in California, as we do across the country. So we've hear, heard a lot about this statewide law called the Ellis Act. Mm -hmm. And because it's a statewide law, it's a one-size-fits-all for the state, which is just crazy on its face. Because what does San Francisco's rental market have to do with Bakersfield or Eureka's? absolutely nothing. San Francisco, it was not a statewide bill, just San Francisco because of our unique crisis to be able to pass a local ordinance by the Board of Supervisors with the signature of the mayor to differentiate between a real landlord and a speculator that before the property owner could use the Ellis Act, he or she would have to own the building five years. Mm -hmm. We see most of these evictions happening within the first year and even half of those within the first six months. And I'll just conclude by saying the difference between a landlord and a speculator is pretty easy. Right. A landlord's business model is 100% occupancy. Mm -hmm. 
a speculator's business motto is 100% vacancy. The Ellis Act was written for one and not the other. And we're just trying to be able to differentiate between the two. You know, just about any constituent I talk to who is in a rent-controlled unit tells me that they go to sleep at night worrying that they could be next. That's true. And we don't want that. We don't want people to be living on the edge and living in fear. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our exit interview with Senator Mark Leno. Welcome back. Let's continue our conversation with Senator Mark Leno. What about those who have been evicted and uh, those who are on the streets today um, living in tents? And, yep. you know, that, that situation I would define as a crisis yes. here in San Francisco. What are your thoughts on solving that or providing resources to, I, I, don't, I don't know, necessarily decrease um, the amount of homelessness, but yes, maybe that should be sure. an effort of ours? Well, it's, it's a local issue, it's also a state issue. Unfortunately, it's also a federal issue, but because of the Congress that we have right now, it's nearly impossible to get a dollar out of them for anything that would be beneficial for this housing crisis and homeless crisis. One thing we did succeed in doing in Sacramento this year, recognizing that about a third of those who are living on our streets, sadly, are living with mental health issues, behavioral health issues, addictions to alcohol or drugs. And so we're going to securitize or bond against $2 billion a year that the state takes in uh, in Prop 63 money. Prop 63 was something the voters passed back in 2004, the Mental Health Services Act, to provide services for those dealing with mental health issues paid for by a 1% surcharge, an additional 1% on personal income tax rates for those earning over a million dollars a year. That brings in about $2 billion a year. Because it's guaranteed income, we can actually sell bonds against it. Uh, the debt service is about $130 million a year. That will be taken out of the $2 billion. And that money will be used, that $2 billion, to build permanent supportive housing for those living homeless mm -hmm. currently with mental health issues. It will build over 10,000 such house, housing units throughout the state in the next few years. And so this will not be a solution, but it will certainly be beneficial uh, for policymakers and for everyone living here who are heartbroken by seeing the misery in the streets and certainly for those who are experiencing the misery in the streets dealing with mental health issues. So that was a, a significant step forward that we took this past year. My thoughts are, it's, if it is difficult to, say, elect a transgender representative who can be there to write policies that actually impact transgender lives, are we doing enough to include transgender voices in this process of legislation and passing them? Um, my feelings are that, you know, although we've come a long ways for transgender rights, there is this crisis, this epidemic of discrimination that uh, is killing transgender women of color. Um, what are your thoughts as we look into the future? Sure. Well, you've covered a lot of territory <laughs> yeah. in that question, but I can tell you that uh, my first year in the Assembly in 2003, I authored a bill that added gender identity and expression to our Fair Employment and Housing Act. That's like our Civil Rights Act here in California. We added sexual orientation to it in mm -hmm. 1999. 2003, we were able to add gender identity. So it prohibits discrimination in housing, employment, and public accommodations based on 
a wide variety of determinations now including sexual orientation and gender identity. The year that I authored that bill, I also had the opportunity, as we all do in the assembly each year, to name a woman of the year from our district. And you see a wide variety of women brought from their districts by mm -hmm. their assembly members. And I thought it appropriate that I would invite a transgender woman to be my woman of the year. And so I chose Teresa Sparks, who was a good friend, is a good friend of mine, was yeah. a good friend of mine, and such an astounding leader in the community, citywide as well as within the trans community. And specifically, so that my colleagues could put a face on the issue because many of my colleagues had never met a trans person, much less a trans woman. And here we were talking about this very important civil rights issue. Uh, one year prior, the bill had in been introduced, the only other time, and it got labeled the drag queen bill. So it wasn't even taken seriously. Hmm. And so I wanted Teresa to be able to walk up and down the aisles of the state assembly and shake hands. I wanted her to shake hands with all of my Republican colleagues in particular, but certainly any of my Democratic colleagues who were uncertain or somehow fearful. We needed to dispel it, put it into real human terms. And I think that was effective and beneficial for everyone, whether they voted for the bill or not. Since then, we've dealt with trans issues in many ways uh, in the way we let contracts using state dollars, making sure that companies that get those contracts don't discriminate in terms of delivering benefits to their employees who may be transgender. Uh, now we make sure that when our foster youth are being placed in foster homes, that their gender identity be considered by those who are doing the placement so kids land in a place that will be supportive and that their parents will be understanding. So there are a lot of sm relatively smaller details that impact lives that we're able to make sure are protected in all the many ways that impact their lives at, uh, through state policymaking. Thank you so much, Senator Mark Leno. Like I said, many of us are going to cry when you actually leave the Capitol. You have been such a joy such a present, such a gift to the LGBTQ community and all of our communities. Thank you for addressing intersectionality. Don't go away when we come back. Former Assembly Member Tom Amiano on the local elections. Welcome back. Our next guest is an activist. He's a politician. He's gay. And he's also a comedian. It's former Assembly Member Tom Amiano. Let's get to the interview. Your voice carries a lot of weight, especially in the LGBTQ community. So like for a young progressive like myself, for example, I would be looking to you for guidance on kind of where to go from here as, um, you know, San Francisco is a special, it's a special city, isn't it, for, in terms of politics. There's oh a lot goodness. of talent here and there's a, the, a lot of people who are speaking and saying the right things. Um, so what are the issues that are most important to you in this election? Well, you know, I, I've had this interesting experience of being a local politician and then elected in, in Sacramento. Here in San Francisco, it's not that much different than Sacramento in terms of the issues that are the most important. And they're not siloed uh, so that they're just LGBT issues. I think we're pretty cool with the um, civil rights aspect uh, now. I don't think you'd find any board member voting against 
uh, something that would be so helpful to us um, in terms of the human rights. But there's issues like housing, which is a big one. And then housing is connected to homelessness. And then uh, after that, there's education. And uh, sometimes people don't think, oh, that's LGBT. But within these, w within these categories, there are LGBT interests, uh, sometimes conflicting, uh, and there are uh, benefits or detriments that need to be addressed, you know, if it's housing or, or if it's education, what kind of curriculum are we gonna have? So I, I'd say those three. Well, I'd say housing, housing, housing. Yeah. But yeah, homeless for sure, and then uh, the public schools. Uh, yeah, of yeah. course. I'm gonna get to the point with my next question here. I mean, you've got, uh, uh, LGBT candidates who are running for office in this election in which their position on such things as housing um, or you know even health care or something or homeless. that uh, hom homelessness yeah, yeah. Uh, is unpopular with some LGBTQ progressives I mean what are your thoughts around I, that? I think that's healthy I think it's all how it's handled um, yeah, Harvey Milk uh, and will make a joke and take the ass out of the out of assimilation so um, I think there is that struggle. Uh, I think in, uh, initially here in San Francisco, uh, there uh, was a lot of violence uh, towards LGBT people, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of discrimination. We still have it, you know, trust me, but uh, it was more pronounced. So identity politics become important. You know, you want someone uh, who either looks like you or talks like you, and, or, or in our case, you know, has a sexual orientation. That, that was a... Um, correction I had to make in Sacramento because they kept telling me uh, uh, your sexual preference is gay and I say no my sexual orientation is gay my sexual preference is Brad Pitt <laughs> <laughs> he's so, single now and he might be free yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll have him on the show yeah um, <clears throat> so I see it as an evolution and it can get very nasty uh, you know people put their uh, careers on the line uh, etc that 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 is the unfortunate thing if there can be healing that to me then that you know that that is the benefit and, and that would be the goal so the identity and, and it's hard sometimes uh you know you want to see uh, uh lgbt people empowered uh even if they don't always agree with you and you know depending on this situation mm. but here in san francisco you know we do have a very uh, I, I think people are more progressive than they know sometimes. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, and a lot of that's been a gift of, of the LGBT community pushing social justice issues. Don't you think it's time that we put a little bit of pressure on, on you know, the elected officials yeah, who have no, gone I, there? I, I, I agree, and uh, I, I, you know, there, there's a little game that we all play. Oh, I knew somebody, and so they're gonna um, run for office, and you know, I kinda owe them, so I'm gonna endorse them. And you, you have to go beyond that, and it's tough. Um, um, you know, I've had to struggle with that, um, but I do think we should, not, at minimum... And that's it for the Michelle Miao Show. Head to michellemiao.com for everything else. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community.